Thank you for joining us today here in person. And those of you that are online, thank you for taking the time. Uh, you had to make some decisions this morning. You know, one of them was what you were going to wear, what you were going to eat. Uh, but it was a decision whether you were going to be here or somewhere else. And we always have that choice every day. Are we going to be where, where we can get the best result from, or are we going to settle for less than the best? And, and I'm not saying the best result because uh, the fact that, that I'm up here teaching. I, I'm, I'm hoping, this is my hope, this is my prayer, this is my desire, that with all the preparation that, that has happened for this message, that I'll be able to get out of the way of God and He'll have His way so that you can hear from Him. Because understand this, that, that hearing what's spoken by anyone is not the most important thing. Hearing what God is saying is the most important. And in this time, God has something for every one of us sitting here. Something that will impart hope, that will cause peace and joy to be increased in our lives, to cause us to be prepared for whatever we're going to face. And how many of you know we don't know what we're going to face? Right? And it's becoming more, um, <clears throat> more questionable what we'll face. We wake up and we hear this is happening here and this is happening there and that's happening over there. And yet, if we don't have our focus on God and our trust in God, our expectation in God, no matter what we hear, no matter what we see, then we're going to be affected by all those things. And our life is going to go up and down. Just like circumstances and situations go up and down in the world we live in. But we have to recognize what's, what's the most important source that we get our information from. Now, please don't say CNN or Fox. Or <clears throat> it needs to be truth. Because we see over the course of time... We get reports from experts or from um, very seemingly responsible sources, and we find out later that what they said wasn't exactly right, it's changed. I want to tell you that that, that causes a lack of security in our lives. We, we start to wonder, well, who can I listen to? And there's only one place you can get truth all the time and that's God's word and that's why it's so important today and every day especially in the times we're living in we're living in the last of the last days and and I know there are some people that might say well you know I've heard that for years yeah but we're getting closer to the end it was written in the scriptures in the New Testament. It was said the last days. And if that was what was said then, we're even closer to the last of the last. And we need to depend on truth. The truth of God's word. The truth of God's character. The truth of God's plan and power and provision for each one of us. If we'll turn to him and trust in him. But if not, we're going to have to make our way in this world doing the best that we can do with what we have. 
And I don't know about you, but I don't have enough to make sure that I'm okay on my own. But I do have enough in Christ. With him, all things are possible, and he'll work all things out for good as long as I love him and are called according to his purpose. And it's an amazing thing to come <clears throat> to that place where, and it's not perfect and it's not continuous, but it's more than ever before in my life where I'll hear things, I'll see things, <clears throat> become aware of things that, that can be stressful, that can evoke fear. And, and the feeling of being uh, not secure, not stable. And yet it doesn't affect because there's something already in place that rises up by the Spirit of God to remind me of what God said. And then I have to make a decision. What am I going to believe? Am I going to believe what I hear, what I see, what I think, what, what other people think? Or am I going to believe God and His Word? And I've made a choice. I'm going to believe God and His Word. And that makes all the difference in the world, even though it doesn't change anything that's going on. And I'm no longer a victim, but I'm able to be victorious in all things through Christ. We're living in amazing times. And we have so much. I, was, I had to go get my car taken care of and had two wheel bearings replaced. And so they, they said, oh, it'll be a little while, Mr. Heck. Um, why don't you go and have breakfast and do this and that? And I didn't want breakfast. So I went to the mall out in Syracuse. And I went up to the second floor. And I immediately noticed that on one side of the second floor of, of the mall, there's just this massive line. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see people waiting for something, I want to know what it is. What is going to have people waiting in line at this time in the morning during the work week? And, and I'm, I'm looking at, at storefronts and names on stores, and I'm still not getting it until I got a little closer and got a little farther out away from the stores on that side. And... Can anybody here think of what that store might have been? Exactly, the Apple store. I mean, and it wasn't just down this side of the mall. It had gone all the way down, but they had another line going the other way all the way down. And they had a guard. Serious. A guard between the two right at the doors, and he was packing. And one person would come out, and he'd go. And another person would go in. And another person would come out, and he'd point to this line. And another person would go in. This was not a fast-moving line. And so people were determined to be there for whatever length of time it took. Now, uh, I, I, I am not young, and old keeps pushing out ahead of me somewhere. But I will tell you, I am not waiting in a line like that for anything but my wife. 
And then there are times she's on the clock. <laughs> but, but why do people wait in lines like that? Gotta have it. Gotta have it. You know, people wait in lines for all sorts of things. There are times I'll wait in lines, not often, to get into a restaurant. And my wife can tell you, if we get up there and there is a line or they say you're going to have to wait for 15 minutes, there are other restaurants. I am not, a, I don't like lines. It's not that important to me. But it is to, to people, obviously, because we're waiting in lines for all sorts of things. We're late, waiting in lines to buy tickets, or used to. Now we try and get them online, but we're like, yeah, online, in line, but you can't do it because people have these programs to be able to get in there quicker and, and redial and do all that. But we, we, we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait. We wait for what? What are you willing to wait for? Oh, come on. All right, to get into heaven. Yeah, you can't get there until he either takes you or he comes. Yeah, we don't, we don't have an escalator or an airplane or something to get there. But, but what else? In, in this world, in this life, what are you willing to wait for? Oh, very wise man. Coffee? I, I will attest to that being true. Since they put the Starbucks in on Black River Boulevard, I have not to this date driven by there when it's open without seeing cars at the drive through window. And I will tell you that at times when I come down before it's open, before it's open, there are people lined up for coffee that is crazy expensive. What makes it so good? <laughs> but, but do you see what I'm saying? That this is, that coffee is better for some people than any other coffee there is. And they gotta have their Starbucks. Now, if you're one of those people, God bless you with a well-paying job. <laughs> and it's like grocery stores. You know, it, it was Whole Foods, which became known as Whole Paycheck. Why? Because that was what was valuable to those people. Sitting here today, there are things you have already determined, every one of us has determined the value of things, all right? And, and we live our lives according to what we value, what something is worth. If, if church isn't worth anything, then we don't show up. Don't, don't be concerned, you're here. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. If... if a house is important. How many people have sacrificed all the way along and waited to be able to get enough money for a down payment to be able to buy a house? 
But you know, some people don't care whether they have a house or not. Jesus didn't have a house. Now, that doesn't mean all of us as Christians shouldn't have houses. God's not against you having a house, but God is against us being slaves to our houses, to elevating our homes or anything else above him. And so today, I want to ask you a question. What do you treasure? What do you treasure? And don't, don't in your own mind think, I don't treasure anything. Yeah, you do. Because you treasure your time, but you're willing to give your time up to work. Now, why do we give our time up to work? Because we just enjoy the company there? That's, that's the case with the staff here, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> We have a great staff. But we work to get what? A paycheck. And do we just, you know, have all the cash hanging out at the house? See, we take what we, we give what we don't value as much as what we're giving ourselves to. So we value our time, but we value a paycheck more than our time. All right? And, and please understand, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. So we should be working. But at that point, we get what we get from our paycheck. Now what do we do with what comes in? Come on, this isn't rocket science. We pay for all sorts of other things. But do you know we usually pay for them either in the, the order of what is valuable to us or what is critical to us. But if we were left on our own, we would buy things that were the most valuable and important to us, what we treasure. You know, it used to be that would, when people were having challenges financially and wanted to come in and talk, I would, I would tell them, all right, here's what I want to be able to see. And this is olden days. It's not today. I want to see your, your checkbook and I want to see your calendar. When I see what you're spending your money on and your time on, I'll tell you what's most important. And then we'll have to look at what's necessary and what is just a want. Now, you may be wondering this morning, where are we going with this? Well, we're talking about treasures, but we've been learning about the kingdom of God. And... We learned about the kingdom of God through the, the Lord's model prayer to the disciples. And I told you last week we were going to learn more about the kingdom of God. And the Bible teaches us a lot about the kingdom. And the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is mentioned a hundred times specifically, only in the New Testament. The kingdom of God is mentioned in a variety of books in the New Testament, 69 times. But the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 31 times in one book. And of that one book, within that book, there is one chapter that addresses the kingdom more than any other chapter. The book is Matthew. Where did we learn about the Lord's model prayer? Matthew. 
and the chapter is chapter 13. And today we're going to begin to look at this and, and see what Jesus said about the kingdom because you are part of a new kingdom. You're part of his kingdom. But if we're living in God's kingdom in the world's ways, it's not going to work. And if we're trying to live by the kingdom principles and do what the world does, it's not going to work. And we frustrate the grace of God. God's empowering presence, his provision, his wisdom. And many times we, we, we look at our lives and we say, God, why, 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 why isn't my life like, well, Pastor Jeremy's and Becky's? They see, oh, it's because he's a pastor. No, it's not. because they have chosen not perfectly there are times they're challenged just like you are just like Debbie and I are but they have made a determination of what is going to be a priority in their life how many hours do you have in a day how many of us have 24 so we all have the same but we don't use the time for the same things and the reason why I use time is because we all have the same. But according to how we use it, will show up in, in our lives. will show up in our lives. And when that shows up in our lives, we can't fault God because we chose. And so we need to see what does the kingdom of God say about these things? How do we align our lives with God? Because God's way is the way of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so today we're going to look at some scriptures and we're going to start to understand what God is saying to us. And how important it is at this time. But it's always been important. God's word is always important. So with that, I'm going to invite you to, to pray with me. If you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Right now, Father, we thank you for hearts, minds, ears, and focus being on you. Father, your word says we as your sheep recognize the voice of the good shepherd. Today, Father, as I speak your word, I ask that each person here as your child, as your sheep, would recognize what you're saying to them, specifically the sword of the spirit. That Father would impart to them your strength, your ability, your wisdom, your truth, your light, and your life. That we would be prepared for anything and everything that we face, knowing that you are with us and for us. And we thank you, Father, 
that as we hide your word in our heart, we won't sin, we won't get off track. Because we will be people that not only know the truth, but we live the truth. And that truth keeps us free. We thank you, Father, for all of this. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 13, we're going to go there in verse 1 through 3. We'll start out. And, and it's revealing to us what's going on. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Now, we know Jesus got tired. And there were times that, that he just wanted to sit. He wanted to be away. He wanted to rest. He wanted to be with his father. But, you know, most of the time when he was with his father, he would go out early before or he would go out late after. But he always made time for his father. So he was sitting out by the sea. And look what happens. A great multitudes were gathered to, together to him so that he could, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. So he's been forced out of his moment of silence, of, of whatever it is, just enjoying the ocean, people are coming at him. How many of you have ever had a time in your life where you just didn't want to deal with any more people? Yeah, I, I'm sure every one of our hands goes up. And, and sometimes people don't want to deal with me because I'm a people. But you know what? God will never turn away any person. And Jesus wouldn't do it either. And so they came to him. And it says in verse 3, and he spoke many things to them in parables. These were people in need. These were people that were seeking something to enrich and enhance their lives. It could be a healing. It could be food. It could be a variety of things. And what Jesus does is he begins to teach them. And what does it say he taught them in? Parables. Anybody know what a parable is? Yeah, it's, it's a story. The word actually means to lay alongside. It's a story that is, is shared that lays something alongside something else. It's a comparison. And, and when Jesus would teach in parables, they were very relatable. People would understand them. He didn't make them really difficult. I have a challenge with Bible teachers that makes things so difficult and deep that nobody understands. Because that's the exact opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus made it so simple that anyone could understand. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they made things so deep that people had to depend on them to know truth. And, and that's where... God is, is desiring us to understand. He is not hiding things from us. And so he, he, he spoke to them in parables. And uh, when, when we hear about parables, parables are, are stories, they're comparisons. There's something that Jesus would teach that people that were listening would be able to take what he just said, lay it next to their lives and what they were doing and how they were viewing things, and how they were thinking, and how they were acting, and their attitudes, and all that. And they could see, am I in line with this, or am I off track? And in understanding whether they were in line with it or off track, 
they had a choice to make. All right, am I going to make the adjustment and get back in line and on track, or am I just going to keep going where I'm going? Because we can't go where we want to go and abandon what God has said we should do and expect God's promises to come to pass in our lives. And so Jesus is teaching them, and, and he teaches in these parables, and so he's got this multitude, he steps into the boat, boat pushes back, and he starts to teach them, and I'm sure they got tired and, and they, they sat down, but he taught seven parables in this chapter, of which four of these parables he taught to the multitudes. And, and we're familiar with some of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first parable he taught to the multitudes was the parable of the sower and the seed. And he says that the seed is the word of the kingdom. Now, there are all sorts of interpretations of what people think these things mean. But the seed was the word of the kingdom that was sown. And the ground was like different types of our hearts or our heart in different conditions. There are a variety of interpretations, and, and the disciples asked for him to explain it, and he did to them. Then he had a parable of the wheat and the tares, and then he had another parable that he taught that was of the mustard seed, and then another parable that he taught that was about leaven. And at that point, he's, he's been teaching them, and at that point, he does something we don't see in too many places. But in, in verse 36, it says this. Then Jesus sent the multitude away. What? He didn't feed them? He didn't heal people? He didn't do all? You know what? You can't put God in a box. If you put God in a box, you severely limit him. And so he sent the multitude away. And I told you, he, he taught seven parables, but he only taught four to the multitudes. And you can go back and look at those, but I want to look at, start looking at today, the parables that he taught his disciples. Because those are the things that we, as disciples, as followers... Now, so many people call themselves Christians, followers of Christ, born again. The only person that knows who really is or isn't is God. Because we all have mastered the ability to present ourselves as how we want people to view us. And the Bible says, no one knows the heart of man except for God. And the change that happens in us when we become born again, when we become disciples, when we become children alive to God, it happens beyond what anybody can see. It happens inside. God begins a work inside us that is not viewed by anybody but should be seen by everybody eventually. There should be this fruit that comes but fruit doesn't happen immediately. It happens over time and through seasons. And so he sent the multitude away and he went into the house. And when he went into the house, the disciples followed him and said to him, explain to us the parable of the tares and the wheat. And he does. 
So they make this demand on him, and after he explains this parable, and we're not going to look at it today, but we're going to look at the parable that he chose to teach, the first parable he chose to teach his disciples, because it has so much in there for us. And sometimes we... How many of you know Jesus is a loving God? How many of you know Jesus loved people so much he whipped them? What? Jesus cleared the Temple Mount with a whip because people were not doing what they needed to do. And he didn't do it because he hated them. He did it because he hated what was being done. And he loved them and wanted them to turn from what they were doing too. Now, I don't know if he hit anybody, but he had a whip. And he cleared the, the tables out of the money changers. And church, there are times, the Bible says, God chastens those he loves. God disciplines those he loves. Now, we live in a society at a time where people think if you discipline or if you disagree or you, you're just an enemy. But the Bible says the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And how do we know if a wound is from a friend or not? We know that friend wants the best for us. God always wants the best for us. But there are times God will, will cause us to feel the pain when we recognize we've moved off track. And I don't know about you, but I know in my life I need constant adjustment because there are so many things that pull at me. A few weeks ago, we, we heard from Frank about idols in our lives, things that pull us away from God, that want to have more priority in our life than God does. And I used to say, I don't want to go to India because they are such an idolatrous country. Until God made it very clear, India's idolatry is very visible. America's idolatry is very covert. We all have idols. We have all put things above God. And we've got to come to that place where we recognize so we can replace what we have exalted, what we have treasured above God to treasure God once again. Because if not, our life is out of order. That's like expecting a train to come down a track and the track not being in alignment. God wants to bring blessing into our lives, but sometimes our lives are not in alignment. And we need to adjust. Well, God loves me. Yes, God always loves us. But sometimes we're the main block keeping God from getting through because of the things we've chosen. And I will tell you this, I love you. If I didn't love you, it'd be easy not to preach this message. If I loved me more than I loved you, or I loved you loving me more than I loved you, I probably wouldn't say a lot of things that I say. But I will tell you this, there's, there's one that I love above all, and that's God.
And my wife knows it, and she's happy with it. She knows that I need to love God more than her. I need to love God more than anything. But we all do. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord God, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Is that what it said? See, if you don't know what the word says, you'll fall for anything. We've got to know truth, not a part truth, because a part truth can be a whole lie. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is a part there that I, I can't even get to the neighbor because I'm not at loving God with all. And I'll never get there in this lifetime, but I need to make gains. And as I gain on that, I can gain on loving my neighbor as myself. But I can't love myself, I can't love my neighbor until I love God. And if I put other things in front of God to love, then the likelihood of me being able to love other people and myself begins to tank. And that's why so many Christians, so many of us, and I include myself in this, so many of us struggle with how can God love me? Look what I've done. Look where I've been. Look what I'm doing. But that's where when we come to that place of loving God, of just trusting See, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Trusting what he said. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with my loving kindness. And realizing his love isn't based on what we do. It's based on what he did. And that'll never change. And as we open up to receive the love of God, then we can, we can begin to love ourselves. If God who knows us best, we don't even know ourselves best, but God who knows us best loves us most, which is the truth. God knows you better than anybody else, including you. He knows all your flaws, all our frailties, all our failures, the fragileness of our lives. And he loves us. And if he loves us, who are we not to love ourselves? And if he loves us and he loves them, who are we not to love them? But we have to come to that place where we know what he said, we believe what he said, we trust what he said, and we track with what he says. And so Jesus is teaching this, and he, he, he says to the disciples, he, he explains this parable that they don't understand, and he's willing to explain. And then in verse 44, he begins to teach them one of three parables that are directed to them as followers. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for the joy of it goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Why did he buy the field? Because of the treasure that was in it. But 
Was he out looking for it? We don't know. It says he found it. So maybe he was looking for it. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he just stumbled upon it. You know, that's happened. There is, there is a man that was um, in Arizona at a rock, <laughs> a, a um, oh, I can't think of the name of it. It was a big rock show, minerals and gems and things like that. And, and he had come from his home in Ohio. He went to the Arizona to look at all the different rocks and minerals and, and fossils. And his two sons, before he left, each gave him $5 and said, Dad, get us something. Bring us back something. And so he was going through all the tables. And he noticed one table had all these beautiful agates that had been polished. Now, if you've never seen an agate, it's kind of a banded stone that that is very, very colorful, and, and, but it's very segmented as far as the different uh, bands. And so he went to this table, he saw all these agates, they were gorgeous, and then he saw a Tupperware box at the back side of the table, and there was a little post-it on it and said, any stone, $15. And so he went immediately to that, and he looked at it, and there was a big stone in the middle, and all these agates that were around, but they were kind of small. And uh, he said to the man at the, the uh, table, he said, you know, would you be willing to sell this stone? There was one big stone in the middle. He said, no, nah, I, I, I just put that in there to keep the, the Tupperware box from moving and falling off the table. It gave it some weight. <clears throat> and he said, but I'd, I'd really be interested in buying that one. Would you sell it to me? And if you would, how much? And he said, that's an ugly stone. That's why I have it as a weight. But if you really want it, I'll sell it to you for $10. He pulled out the two fives, gave it to the man, and quickly, inconspicuously, left the show. Because he got home and he showed his sons what he had bought. And it was the largest star sapphire that had ever been found. Now, it wasn't a blue sapphire. It was a gray sapphire. But uncut, it was worth $2.5 million. Cut, it was worth $10 million. And this was, this was reported in the LA Times. It was sitting right there. Piece of junk. Somebody who had knowledge thought, this is worthless relatively to everything else. And yet, was it worthless? It would have been worthless to us because we probably wouldn't have recognized it. But in reality, it was priceless because we didn't have, and neither did most people that looked at that table have the understanding enough to recognize the worth and the value of what that was. And you know, that happens all the time in our society. People will evaluate other people, children, people on the street, and look at them and say, well, you know, they're, they're, there's not a lot there. But do you know what? It doesn't matter who they are. 
doesn't matter what they've done. doesn't matter what they're doing. I want you to know every human being God views as priceless. Every human being. That includes you. Because that's what he gave. He gave a one of a kind for you. He gave his son for you. And he gave his son for everyone. And as much as we devalue, we don't see the value in other people, it doesn't mean that there's not value there. And God wants us to see as he sees and live as he lives and walk as he walks and talk as he talks and encourage people and affirm people and value people. But right here he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like what? A treasure. So he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Now, a kingdom we've talked about, but a kingdom is where the king has his way. His will and his way is done, no matter what. He's the one in final authority and in control. But people in the kingdom fulfill his will and what his word is. If he says this, they do it. And they do it because of fear of what would happen to them if they didn't do what the authority said. But I want you to see this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for what? Joy. Joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field. In the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, it's all about joy. We get the opportunity and the privilege to bless our heavenly Father, to bless our Lord Jesus Christ, to bless Holy Spirit by how we live life, by, by what we do. We, we need to recognize that we hold the opportunity and privilege to bless God who blesses us all the time. And so, when I asked you this morning and I talked about what people treasure, what they value, what they find great worth in, and, and I, I hoped you were thinking about what you treasure. What is it that you treasure? This is saying the kingdom of God is a treasure. This is a treasure above any other treasure there is. And so, when we think about treasures, we, we need to think about how we've approached things and how things change. You know, when I was a little boy, I had a box. It wasn't very big, but it was mine. And that box was where I kept my treasures. I would find things and I would put it in the box. And I would bring the box to my room and my brother and I had bunk beds. I was on the lower one. He was on the upper one. And I would put my box underneath the bed. And at night, I would pull it out and I'd look at my treasures. Now, I've got to tell you something. They were absolutely priceless to me. But if I looked at them again today, and I can't because I don't have them, and the reason why I don't have them 
is because something changed. And it was me. The things as a little boy that I treasured, as I started to grow and mature and get understanding and wisdom, I realized this is really isn't a treasure, it's a piece of junk. And it came to the place where in, in growing up, my parents bought me a desk. Now, my, the desk was to do homework, but I knew what it was for. It had drawers. I could put my treasures in the drawers now. And when I started to put tr my treasure from my box into the drawer, not everything made it. There was stuff that got thrown out with the box because it was no longer holding the same value in my estimation. I had changed. It hadn't changed. And it happens with us all the way along. There are things that we treasure. But as we grow in the kingdom and in Christ and in our knowledge of God and his word, there are things we need to let go of. There are some things we've treasured. We've put it as a priority. And I'm getting into hot water right now because I'm stepping on a lot of toes. But please understand the reason why we're going here is Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back for our church. And he said what the condition of the church is. It's without spot or wrinkle. And I'm going to tell you, I don't have to know. I know in all of our lives. I don't have to know you or what's going on in your life because I know we're all going through the same thing. That there are spots, there's muck and dirt and nastiness in our lives. And there are wrinkles, there are things that aren't smooth the way God would want them to be. And God is now in the church, in the world, before his son comes back, he is helping to get the spots and the wrinkles out. And there are going to be people in the church that are going to say, you know what, this is too hard, this is too uncomfortable, this isn't as fun as I want it to be, and so I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. Jesus said, I'm coming back for a church without spot or wrinkles. If you have spots on a piece of clothing, what do you do? Wash it. Right? And shower. <laughs> oh, shout it out. Okay. But, but it, when you wash your clothes, which we did yesterday, what do you do? You put them in the washer, right? And does the washer just kind of let it sit in the water? It just sits there. And then it drains out and you got clean clothes. Man, those clothes get all agitated. Stirred up. Mixed up. Saturated. And all of a sudden, spun. <laughs> How many of you today feel like you're in the spin cycle? Or the agitation cycle. You know, we're somewhere in there. God is doing a work. And before we know it, we're just pressed up against the side of the wall. 
and then we're pulled out. And what's the next step? Well, some people put their, their clothes when it's nice out on the clothesline, but many people put it right in the dryer. What are you doing there? Mixing it again. With heat. <laughs> right? When is this going to be over, God? And then finally we get the end. Look. Spot's still there. Back in again. <laughs> but I'm going to add a little extra to you. Something to break down this spot until the spot's gone. And let's, let's go to wrinkles. Some of you are like, I don't want to talk about it. No, I'm talking about wrinkles and clothes. <laughs> Some of the other ones, there's not a lot we can do about. <clears throat> but wrinkles, if we're going to get wrinkles out of our clothes, what do we have to do? Iron. There we go. Heat again. Steam. What else? Pressure. Some of us have been complaining to God. God, I don't understand. I'm just all mixed up. I'm agitated. I feel like I'm pushed back against the wall. I feel like I'm just, just in the midst of this heat. There's this pressure. Welcome. God's doing a work in the church. And, and we can say, oh, I'm done. I don't want to do this. But I will tell you there will come a day if you step out of this process, you're going to regret it for eternity. Now, it doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. You'll go to heaven. But you'll have an understanding like you can't have, we can't have here of what God was able to do through us when he'd finished with the process he was doing. And so this is what this is about. There are things that we need to hear that are going to help remove spots and, and take care of the wrinkles. And it's not comfortable. God is not so interested in your comfort, he's interested in your character. He knows what you can become. He made you, and it's beyond anything you could imagine or dream. And he is always working towards that goal of us becoming what he had for us to become. Now, in this we, we see that there's some adjustments. There's some things that need to happen. But going back to chapter 6, where we learned about the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, we find out some more things. In chapter 6, verse 19, yeah, it says about treasures. Don't save treasures for yourself here on earth. What are we exchanging everything for? What are we valuing? What are we seeing as worth more than spending time with God, more than walking with God, more than allowing God to have his way in our lives? That is an idol that we were taught about a couple of weeks ago. It is a treasure to us, but it is going to torture us. It's going to torment us if it's not God, because that's what idols do. Idols, idols don't do anything good. Where moths and rust will destroy them, 
and thieves can break into your house and steal them. Instead, save your treasures in where? Heaven. Send it ahead. But we're going to find out whatever, whatever we prioritize, and especially if it's God. If we prioritize God, not only do we have something waiting for us in heaven, God will make sure that we're experiencing heaven on earth. I know we all want that. Instead, save your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust. And when thieves cannot break in and steal them, your heart will be where your treasure is. And if you aren't sure where your treasure is, just think about what you think about. And you'll probably think about that on your way home. But think about what you think about. Where does your mind go when you don't have something you have to do? What is it that you are passionate about? What is it that, that you prioritize? You try and make space first in your schedule and in your life so you can do. Because when Frank spoke to us a couple of weeks ago, he talked about the preeminence of God, how God needed to be in that priority spot. But we put all sorts of things in that priority spot, and we expect God to come through when they don't. Oh, ooh, ouch. Whatever we put in that priority spot, if it doesn't come through, who do we go to? We go to God. And God says, but you chose. And we have to acknowledge it and repent and turn around and turn to him and say, all right, God, forgive me. You know what God does? God forgives us. When we confess our sin to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We start over clean and fresh. And the only one that will remind you after that of what was is the enemy. And he's a liar. You and I don't need to listen to him. And when we go down a little farther, because this is just below where Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. So he incorporated this in what he was teaching them at that time. And then down in verse 33, Matthew 6, 33, before you put it up. Oh, no, that's okay. Go ahead and put it up. Sorry, John. We know it. Most of us know it this way, but seek what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Because we want all these things, we try and go after them and God says, no, 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 no. You can't get them on your own and you can't get them with your own effort. But if you'll go after me, all of those things will be added to you. How many of you think that's a better deal? Man, when we go after God, we go after the best. And God says, okay, all those other things, if you'll treasure me, the trinkets will come. What's the difference between treasures and trinkets? You've heard it this way. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And there are things that we think are treasures and other people are like... Because one man's Treasure is another man's trash, too. 
And so what are we going after? Are we going after the trinkets that this world has to offer? Because they will not satisfy very long. If you live for 100 years, that's nothing compared to eternity. And that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in eternity. Why sell out for a trinket when you can serve God and experience treasures and he'll bring the trinkets? In the ERV translation, it says it this way. What you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what he wants you to do. Then he'll give you all these other things you need. Do you realize when we get to heaven, we're not going to be going after all the stuff that we thought was so valuable here? Just the fact that we read in the Bible, in heaven, the roads are made with what? Gold. They pave with gold. Don't you think you'd be a little out of place if you went out today and got in the middle of a road and said, look! Look at this treasure! And you started digging it up and putting it in wheelbarrows, taking it back to your house, dumping it in your yard. You couldn't get enough asphalt. The things we value here are not valuable. What did God place the highest value on? Human beings. God gave everything dear. His priceless, one-of-a-kind son for messes. All we can see is messes. And yet God said, they're not messes. They're my priceless treasure. So I'm going to give this treasure in exchange for this treasure. And when we start to treasure anything but what God treasures, we are wasting our time, our resources, our efforts. We're going to continue on and, and look into this more completely, see what others, apostles, have said about this. Because it is time, church. It is time. Now is the time to not push back on God when he is putting us through the wash cycle or the spin cycle or trying to dry us and get us to the place where we need to be without spot or wrinkle. Amen? Are you ready? Are you willing? Because you are able and God is able. Amen? Like every head bowed, every eye closed. This is all about the kingdom of God. Where God is king and he does have his way. Not just in general, but specifically in our lives. When, when we realize we can't do this without God, we realize the truth of Scripture. With man, nothing is possible. With God, all things are possible. If you need the impossible done, if you want to experience abundant life, and you want to experience the absolute blessing of being a blessing, you can't bless until you've been blessed. And the greatest blesser of all is God. 
but we have to turn to him and entrust ourselves to him. Which means we have to turn our backs on what we've done up to this point. We, we can't continue to do what we did and get what God has. We have to adjust and say, all right, my doing, my will is over. Now I'm here to do the will of my Heavenly Father. I'm here to do and to live what the kingdom has for me to do and live. Now, if you've never turned to Christ to trust Him, whether you're here or online watching, you know, God's right there. He cares about you. He's always cared about you. He's waiting for you to turn to Him and entrust Him with your life, with your cares, with your concerns. Just like we heard today. You know, God wants and will give everything you need, but you've got to give yourself to Him. And if you have never done that today, I'm inviting you to pray with me so that you can see the end of what has been and God can begin a brand new life. The Bible says you become this new creation in Christ. And he begins to work in your life and through your life and in you and through you like never before. And you experience that overflowing abundant life the way he has so that you can overflow into others. But if that's you, I invite you to pray today, inviting Christ, recognizing that he is the one that died to pay the price for your sin, repenting, turning away from you running your own life and letting him be Lord, and receiving the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who willingly went to the cross, died for my sins on the cross. Today, Lord Jesus, I come to you knowing that I have sinned. I repent. I turn to you. I trust in you. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for your victory that you give me every day as I trust you and walk with you to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer here today, let somebody know before you leave. If you prayed online, let us know. Go to the website, reslifeny.org. Scroll down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us some contact information.